Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thanks for tuning in to Talent Talk. This is our first show of 2016, and I'm really excited to have our first set of guests. And I know we've got a fantastic lineup already in the works for the entire year, so hope you'll tune in. Uh, Talent Talk really centers around topics of talent uh, recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. So these are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. So I hope that uh, as you tune in and listen each week, uh, whether it's live or uh, on the uh, the live broadcast, excuse me, or on the podcast that we have on iTunes or uh, on iHeartRadio, that you hear something that you can uh, take away that will really help your, uh, you know, your business grow, impact your own career, uh, you know, just takes away something positive, hopefully, uh, either from myself or one of the guests that uh, kind of break up these different topics. So, you know, I personally have met so many inspiring leaders and events over the last year, and I've uh, attended, you know, many different groups and conferences, uh, you know, different things that I'm a part of, and I, you know, I had the privilege of, of taking uh, the time to talk to them and learn from them. And so this show is really designed and dedicated to give you an opportunity to listen on, on some of these topics and conversations uh, that I've been fortunate enough to have over the year and, you know, give you something that you can use down the road. So Talent Talk is live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and as I mentioned, and you can uh, can be a- accessed via our podcast and uh, found on iTunes and, and iHeartRadio. So we've amassed an incredible following of 260,000 of you uh, checked in over the uh, the winter break here, the holiday break there on the podcast feed. And a big thank you to everyone who's tuning in here regularly. If you have a question for one of my guests, you can submit them uh, via Twitter. All you have to do is go on there right now and tweet your question and just add uh, to at people g2 or if you can't fit that in just make sure you at least have that hashtag talent talk my producer mike is diligently watching that and he'll try to feed me in any of the best questions uh during the show we'll try to work them in so let's go ahead and uh talk about today's show my uh guest today will include craig fisher he's the director of talent acquisition marketing uh for the americas for ca technologies and then we'll have uh, dr rosie ward uh, the principal and co-founder of uh, Salvio Partners. Rosie will be with me in the second half of the show. So let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Craig, welcome. Hi, how are you, Chris? Doing great. So, Craig, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and uh, what you're doing there with managing the talent. All right, yeah. So I've been in the talent business since uh, 1995 when I began recruiting physicians uh, then I got into tech recruiting, and I never looked back. I started out as a drug rep, right? And uh, so I'm, I'm a full sales guy. But when you fall into recruiting, it's addictive, and uh, and managing teams of talent and recruiting and staffing those teams uh, is is just a highly entertaining, exciting thing. Uh, these days, I'm running uh, talent marketing and employer brand for CA Technologies, which is the fourth largest software company in the world. 
it's a B2B brand, and so it doesn't have very much uh, public-facing consumer brand. And they've rebranded a couple of times over the last 20 years. And so a lot of the younger audience that we want to attract doesn't really know who we are. And so that's my job is to share that with the world and, and amplify it through our employees and, and targeted marketing. Oh, that sounds like a real challenge there. So, uh, you know, as you know, managing talent can be easy or difficult depending on, you know, I guess, the type of management that's in place and type of talent that you're bringing in and how they're being recruited. So as someone that recognizes that kind of importance of people and the success in the company, what do you see as some of the keys to recruiting and attracting the right talent? I think one of the main things that you need to do is ensure that you're um, explaining your brand properly, right, to your target audience. Who are you talking to? Who's going to fit well in your organization? Who can you recruit that is uh, being sourced for fit, right? Not just for skill set, but culture fit and uh, management style fit, right? Who's going to have success here? Who's going to be interested and engaged and be a, a leader and not just uh, getting a paycheck? If you can target your efforts in that direction, and then really be transparent about what your company's culture is really about and accept the good with the bad, but emphasize the good, you'll have a much better success rate of, of trying to bring in the right people. And, and I know that you've been recognized by Twitter as one of the, I hope I'm saying this right, top 50 Twitterati. Uh, you created <laughs> one of the first uh, Twitter chats for, for recruiters. So how does a network like that you know, help companies in you know, their talent direction uh, and decision-making? Well, I can tell you that uh, for recruiting purposes, Twitter is excellent for branding. Um, it's not necessarily great for things like sourcing. But if you have a large network, um, you can get referrals easily if you're constantly giving to that network and not just always asking, right? So I use a five-to-one give-to-ask ratio where I give helpful articles, uh, helpful information, job search tips, uh, company culture, uh, fun facts, uh, pictures of me and my coworkers, whatever, and then every once in a while ask, right? So if you can give, 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 and then ask, you're much more likely to get referrals. But only about 3% of your network on any social channel is ever going to be online at any given point. So if you've got a small network, Right? If a tree falls in the woods or if a tweet falls in the woods, who's going to hear it if you don't have a very large audience? So having a big network is really important. Yeah, and I think people fail to really realize what they, what they need to do to really make Twitter or some of the other platforms work. And I've had people say, well, I went on Twitter and I did a few tweets and nothing happened. And I'm like, well, how many people are you following? How many are following you? You know, mm -hmm. are you consistently putting out, you know, content, sharing things, liking other people's posts. And, of course, our answer is usually no, and then they wonder why they're not really getting anything. And I, and and to your point, I've seen people even go as far as 8 to 1 or 10 to 1 before they ask uh, for some of their content. I think it's Gary Vanderchuk that's got that 8 to 1 rule. So, But you definitely need to be giving more than what you're, you're getting back if you're expecting to ever get anything back. And that's usually uh, not everyone has the patience for that or has the desire to want to put that kind of time in there, but it really can be valuable. I've seen you know, some great successes for people that do put in that time. So are you seeing that kind of return in, in, in the investment that you put into social media? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it, it's funny. Um, when you do develop a, a, a following and a, a community on places like Twitter and even Facebook, uh, and people really understand what it is you do and what's a good referral for you, and you're one of their best resources for news information, uh, you know, what's coming down the pike that they should be aware of, things like that, they really do take action. And when I got good at actually explaining to my personal network on places like Facebook, who should be the people best equipped to give me referrals, but usually for most people aren't because most people don't even understand what it is you do for a living, really. Mm -hmm. But when you get better at explaining that, right, and then you ask something like that every once in a while, people actually do take action. And Facebook for years has been my number one source of referrals. Yeah, and I know sometimes people are worried, especially on Facebook, about mixing that business and personal. And if you can kind of get get by, get past that, and not mind that you're putting up pictures of a party and then pictures of your kid and then an, an article about your business and telling people about what you do, if you can get, I think, kind of past that hurdle, it really can be a great place to kind of mix the two and make sure people understand what you do and who is a great uh, reference for you and because their friends they do run into situations where they might need your help or their friend might need their help and if you don't share that if you don't let them like you said inform them then they're never going to be able to, to make that connection with you that's right and you never know Chris where your next best lead is going to come from right your next best referral anyone in your network could live next door to or be the cousin of your next greatest hire so don't take that for granted, and don't be afraid to share a little bit about work as you're also sharing entertaining stuff, because I think, I, I, I like to say your business is personal, right? Mm -hmm. Because if, if it's not, how are you making relationships anyway? And if you go to the extent of creating just a business Facebook page for yourself, that really defeats the purpose of being more personal in your branding efforts and in your sales or recruiting efforts, because Normally, that's a very sterile page that you create, and it's really boring, and it has nothing of the stuff anyone wants to know about you. So I think you're better off creating lists uh, within your friends list, right, categorizing people and sharing certain things with certain groups on Facebook and, and just being smarter about not sharing anything that you wouldn't want everyone to see. Right, right. Well, you know, every, every uh, new year, there's some top trends for human resources and talent marketing for all kinds of companies overall, but are you seeing any sort of top trends that are emerging here that companies should be thinking about for 2016? I really am. Um, so one of the things that uh, I have been noticing, so I get to go around and work with a lot of different recruiting teams, even though I'm full-time at CA, I, I get to go and consult with other teams. They want me doing that with my ear to the ground, and I speak to a lot of events to recruiters and things like that. So I listen to what's going on, and more and more I'm hearing that uh, recruiting teams want to implement things like a CRM, which is what we're calling a candidate relationship management system. It's very similar to what a customer relationship management system would be, like Salesforce for a sales team. Um, but it lays sort of on top of your uh, applicant tracking system, and it gives you the ability to create a real talent community where people can join 
and then be engaged by sending them specific content uh, in segmented ways. So you have their sort of background uh, and you have these campaigns that you can create in a CRM and send certain candidates certain information and have it automated, but also have it be personalized. So I always say that you, if you have a talent community that has no engagement, all you have is a list. Right. And, and that's not going to help you unless you just want to push things. But if you want to give and ask and receive and share and create a real community, well, that's kind of the way to go. So sort of marketing for your potential, your future applicants, right? It's, it's kind of staying in touch with them, yep. keeping, uh, top of mind for them so that when you do decide you want to hire in a particular area, now that ask or that interest is maybe a bit warmer. Is that kind of what you're getting at? It absolutely is. So it's basically inbound recruiting. So inbound marketing has been a thing for a long time. Um, HubSpot sort of created the term, and they do it as well as anyone. If you sign up to HubSpot's newsletter, they'll send you some of the best emails on a regular basis ever. And you'll go sign their form and download every one of them if that's sort of what you're interested in. Uh, you can do the same thing for candidates. You can also do the same thing for alumni and internal employees. You have to market to all three of those talent groups because they are all your brand champions and they can all refer people to you and should. Right. And I think people forget about that, that, you know, your current staff and then even staff that have left and, you know, they may have left on great terms. It was just the, you know, different uh, path for their career or, or what have you. But those are fantastic people to be thinking about your company, not only for business, but also for finding talent for you. And a company seem to so often just completely ignore those uh, two areas, and yet they spend obscene amounts of money trying to find the next person, uh, you know, that who they're going after in a very, you know, kind of cold call kind of a way, right? That's exactly right. So you start a new sourcing effort every time rather than mining your existing resources. And at CA Technologies, for instance, we've created this alumni campaign where we're engaging them as we would new candidates and saying, hey, look, we're glad you were here. We know you left. We're hoping you're having success. We want to keep in touch, right? Here's some interesting news and career tips you might be able to use. And engaging those folks as our, what we call our boomerang community. Because some of those people we're going to really want back. And a lot of the talent that organizations hire nowadays are of the millennial generation that considers work a series of projects and it could be for your organization or for several organizations right and so they need constant uh engagement and learning and growing and you can't always uh plan for that you can't always keep them moving to do a more interesting projects all the time so they're going to leave but if you treat them well on their way out right they'll probably come back if they liked their experience there and if you're having uh those boomerang uh you know, kind of scenarios with good clients or with A or even B-plus players for talent, mm -hmm. it's a great thing. You have to be careful with the boomerangs on your C-level employees that come back because they just want to sit and, and relax. But, <laughs> you know, well, you're, that does, you're finding the right people. That does happen, right? And so you won't necessarily want to bring everyone back, but you still want everyone to be your brand champion you, because they're going to talk, right? And they have friends that you might want. So, 
still don't pour the kerosene and light the match as they're walking out the door. Give them a, a, a box of cookies and a parade and say, hey, we love you. Thank you for being here. Now, some of the things you're talking about are, you know, bigger company plays. I mean, uh, organizations that are hiring constantly or could need to be hiring on a regular basis, uh, you know, are going to be doing some of the things you're talking about. So a company of 25 or 50 employees is probably not going to take the time to, to be minding all the time. They're just going to go out and find that one person every time they need them. So are you see, do you see some differences or are there some things that maybe companies need to think about if they're big versus small? Well, I'll tell you that uh, a CRM would probably be a big investment for a small to medium-sized business, right? Um, unless they've got a really nice budget. But uh, so those companies are going to have to rely more on staffing agencies and internet job boards uh, for a lot of their candidate flow, which is expensive. But I'm seeing a greater reliance on utilizing social professional networks for referrals and and branding. And that's pretty much free, right? Some of the monitoring and tracking uh, you know, can cost a little bit of money, but it's really just effort and creativity that can drive that. So there's a whole world of opportunity for small to medium-sized businesses to get the few people that they have talking about their own brand better and really attracting those networks of those employees, even if you're a 10-person company, get everyone in the organization to start talking about the company and what a great place it is to work and their coworkers and how much fun they have on a regular basis because each one of them has a thousand people on this social site and a thousand more people on this other one. And right there, that's a whole pool of candidates who also know people, right? That's how this exponential ratio works in social media. So if somebody remotely influential shares something about your company that's very interesting with their networks, well, then you've just exploded. And you're really talking about, you know, culture and it really being a, a, such a big factor in drawing people in, uh, both your existing and then, you know, people are going to want to bring their friends in and want to bring their people they know in their own network if they feel like the culture is, is, is good. And that certainly has been a big, you know, buzz term over the last two years with company culture and engagement. Uh, you know, another possible trend for companies to consider in their candidates' engagement is this, you know, gamification. Uh, which can be used for both the decision-making on a candidate and for training existing employees. Do you have any particular take on this trend as it pertains to these areas? I'll tell you that hackathons seem to work if you're hiring tech talent, for instance, okay? Um, they, they seem to be a good way to not only gauge the level um, of talent and the interest in your available talent pool, but they're also pretty good for branding. And job candidates seem to like the challenge. Uh, so it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm reading a book right now about what actually motivates people. And lots of times it's not really stick, carrot, or reward. It's just challenge. And so I think for those reasons, hackathons are interesting to uh, a lot of the technical talent that people might want to evaluate. Um, and then internally, Right? If we're talking about getting your own people talking more, right, uh, sharing things online 
and then occasional asks, right? Oh, hey, by the way, we've got a job opening. Um, you can use uh, sort of social sharing platforms. We use a thing called Q Social if you're at CA Technologies. And we're able to curate interesting articles that are just helpful to our networks that everyone in our talent organization and HR organization and now even the sales and larger organization can share with their networks. And then occasionally we'll push out something, hey, by the way, we're hiring. And it works. Our, our networks are expanding wildly and rapidly, and our employees are engaged. They're, they're given a purpose and a mission, and we gamify it because there are challenges every week. And uh, right. it's, it's just like why people like things like Foursquare. You don't get actual rewards. You just get pictures of rewards, which is fun. Yeah. Well, that sounds like great stuff you guys are doing. Now, you mentioned a book there that you're reading. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So uh, this book is called Drive by Daniel Pink. Uh, it's been around for a long time. Um, but it's a, it's a great book, and he really delves into uh, you know what actually intrinsically motivates people. And there's a lot of science behind this that says, our current or standard method of motivation is sticking care, right? Um, reward process uh, with a little bit of structured uh, strictness behind it. And that does work to a certain extent, but lots of companies now, Google, for instance, are putting people in these environments and just saying, no direction, no consequences, just be creative. And it's actually happening. The challenge of being more creative or more interesting than another like sub-pod group is something that really drives people. Well, it's a great book, and we've had a lot of past guests uh, recommend it. So for any of you that are listening, we definitely suggest you take a look at that book. Uh, it's a great one. And if uh, we always have a recap of all of the uh, – of both the guests today will be on our blog, and if you forget the any of the books there, we have them listed. You know, Craig, we're out here at the end. I want to make sure we give you the opportunity. How, how can people learn more about your company if they're interested in maybe looking at uh, job opportunities or, or different things like that? What's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, just uh, you can go to ca.com slash careers. CA used to be short for computer associates. Now we're CA technologies, but it's ca.com slash careers. And join our talent community and, and get involved and see how we're doing this because it's interesting. It's a learning experience, but we're also a really interesting internal culture and, uh, and resourceful company. And, you know, it's, it's fun to keep in touch with us. Well, and, you know, uh, Craig, we just seem like we just blew right through this time. So we'd love to have you come back at some point and we can get to all the other questions that we didn't have time to, to talk about because you've been a fantastic guest and, Really interesting on a lot of the things that uh, CA is doing. All right, Chris. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on. All right. Thank you for joining me. Up next, after this quick commercial break, will be Dr. Rosie Ward. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. 
When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results, a cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge, with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to Talent Talk. As a reminder, if you have a question for one of my next guests, you can send it to me via Twitter. Just use that hashtag Talent Talk, all one word. Uh, remember, you can also check us out on iTunes, on iHeartRadio. You can even go to talenttalkradio.com and listen right there on the website. And we also, don't forget, go to peopleg2.com and go to the blog section. And uh, we have all of the guests we've ever had on. We have a nice recap, kind of the cliff notes of the um, of the interviews, uh, in case you don't want to listen, if you'd rather read and get all the, the best stuff there and all of the links to all the books and different things they talked about. It's a great place to go. So uh, onward here to our uh, second guest of the year, uh, Dr. Rosie Ward, principal and founder of, I hope I'm saying it right, Salvio Partners. Uh, Rosie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. And you did, it's Salveo Partner, so you were close. Close, Salveo, okay. I was going to say Salveo, Salveo, but okay, we're close. All right, well, um, Rosie, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you're doing over there? Sure. Well, I'm in cold uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota right now, and um, Salveo Partners actually is a Latin word that means to be well or in good health. And it um, the Reader's Digest version is I kind of grew up, if you will, in the fitness and wellness industries uh, with a master's in kinesiology and, and a master's in public health and really started more in worksite wellness and health promotion. And I, I really realized early on, we're talking in the early 2000s, that what was published in the research and literature and being done as a practitioner didn't work. And I was really disheartened having spent a lot of money on two degrees to feel like this industry was broken and I wasn't sure what to do with it. So I went to work um, in public health and, and all of my fun reading, if you could call it that, has always been leadership books and organizational development. And I think as a new manager, you know, I was trying to just see how I could develop myself and get better because there was nothing offered for me. And long story short, when I was um, working in public health, it really was the first time that I experienced being in what I would call a toxic work environment. And although I was this believer in health and wellness, it really sucked the well-being out of me to the point I was getting sick all the time. I gained weight. My friends were saying, you don't seem like yourself. You'd come home and complain. And my husband and I were fighting all of those types of unintended consequences. And and I had a light bulb moment and I thought, well, no wonder what we're doing is totally broken. Um, you really have to look at this whole idea of, of workplace culture and leadership. And so I decided to shift gears and pursue my PhD in organization and management. And so all of my doctoral research really focused on uh, understanding um, workplace cultures 
culture and, and how do you how do you navigate it and influence it and change it and, and leadership. Um, and, and in the midst of all this, I started to become really fascinated with this whole idea of motivation and, and the lessons that we were learning from neuroscience about kind of what makes us tick and, and behavior change. And so I, I kind of put all of these various disciplines together in my doctoral research and started really using that to launch a consulting um, practice initially for uh, an organization and then and then went out um, independently. And so Salveo Partners started actually, I want to say it was back in 2006, and it was just myself as a sole proprietor and um, while I was working on my doctoral research. And then I set it aside to, to head up uh, consulting practice for a large insurance um, broker and realized that I just really was not a fit there for, for multiple multiple reasons. And so um, about two years ago, my uh, business partner now and, and co-author, um, Dr. John Robeson, and I were talking about writing a book together and doing some stuff, and Salveo Partners had kind of been sitting there lying dormant, and um, and my, our niche had really become what we call the fusion of organizational development or OD practices and really employee well-being and really under really understanding that they are very much interconnected and, and how do you kind of influence the junk that's being done that isn't working in workplace wellness while also people who are trying to help um, employee engagement and, and what a lot of HR professionals are trying to do. So we resurrected it, rebranded it, gave it a new look, um, and, and so that's kind of where we are now. So we really... Um, we we obviously do a lot of speaking and writing and consulting, but we do everything from leadership development consulting to helping people overhaul their broken wellness programs to um, culture transformation and, and really everything that goes with that, including certifying people who want to go um, and, and do this as well. So it's, it's been a really um, exciting and interesting journey for sure. Well, let's talk about that a little bit deeper here. So, you know, some of the things that you do are like leading workshops uh, in two areas kind of around uh, something we talk about a lot on the show, which is company culture and employee engagement. Yeah. So why why are these two aspects of a company so important and vital, you know, to the company's long-term health and well-being, you know, based on your journey and experiences and, and things that you've studied? Yeah, well, they're they're so critically important, and I think intuitively a lot of leaders and HR professionals got that, but when the economy took a downturn, it kind of took a back seat, and now it's really back in the forefront. And I think part of it is because of the just incredible changes that are coming with the workplace. So all of the research that's been done looking at millennials and that they're going to be the majority of our workforce in just 10 years and what they're expecting and, and what they need from a development standpoint and just the shortage of workers and all of those types of things. And a lot of organizations are really competing now um, for top talent. Um, you know, the mediocre employees, you know, will kind of stay put. Um, but the top talent that's really going to, you know, grow your organization and set you apart from your competitors. And so I think that people are, are, are paying more attention to that for sure. And what's interesting is, you know, employee engagement is, is a hot topic and has been for a long time. But if you look at the research, according to Gallup and other people who've studied this for decades, employee engagement hasn't changed much in the last 30 years. It, it, you're, you know, it's really been this 30% number are engaged and it's not moving. And so when you actually look at the difference of organizations that, you know, quite frankly are kicking butt in their industries, it comes down to their company culture and that, you know, they, they, intentionally um, nurture it. They view it as one of their top competitive advantages. I love the book Firms of Endearment and the studies they've done there. And you just really see that culture is such a such a critical thing. And, and there's been other research that has come along to really where well-being comes into the picture. 
is that you could have employees, for example, who are engaged. They are willing to give that extra discretionary effort, but they literally can't. They don't have the capacity or the energy to do so. And so there's, I'm sure you're familiar with great work going on by Tony Schwartz and really looking at this, um, you know, energy crisis, if you will, that we have. But Towers Watson also did a great um, global workforce study a couple of years ago and really found that those organizations that have high-performing cultures, it's not just about engagement, that's a piece, but they also are really kind of tending to that culture and making sure that employees are energized and that their well-being, particularly their uh, physical, emotional, and social well-being are supported. And so we're just starting to see more and more of this incredible integration of work and professional lives that is really key to not just having a great workplace culture and engagement, but also people being able to give their best at work and go home and still give their best too. Yeah, and that's a really important challenge that you know a lot of people are having because they get stretched thin. We kind of start to mix, you know, personal and business, and it all seems to blend over. There isn't kind of that traditional start and stop time for a lot of people um, yep. with with the, you know, advantages or disadvantages of technology. Um, you know, and, and, and one of the things that I've started to see over the last few years is that companies are, some companies that are getting it right are really are, doing a good job of, of defining what their culture is and feeding it and understanding it. But kind of one of the side stories, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, is that employees don't seem to be very uh, adept at understanding, at least not quickly, whether or not a culture is good for them or not, because they don't necessarily understand their own, how they tick or what they really value or what's really going to work. You know, we're, do, do, am I going to make enough money? Is this job close to my house? Do I count? You know, there are other sort of factors that play into there. And so they may go a long, quite a long time without ever really addressing, is this the right fit for me? And that could be a problem for them and for the company. So have you, have you seen that at all in, in, in your work? Oh, definitely. And, you know, and I think there's, there's several things that, that feed into that. So one, obviously people who are newer in their careers, you know, as we all know, trial and error, you kind of start to figure out what's important to you as you go along, right? And, and, and good or bad experiences in work, you know, shape us and we start to realize and I, um, you know, how important culture is or what are the things we look for in an environment or in a supervisor or in, you know, the work itself. Um, but you know, that being said, I also think, again, especially because there's such this, influx of of millennials, you know, that are new to the workforce, I think as an organization, part of it is, you know, there's this whole movement of self-awareness. I mean, self-awareness is now one of the fastest growing competencies in leadership development, but I look at leadership at all levels because you have people who maybe are formally leaders, but everybody is a self-leader, right? And so if we can if we can really provide workshops for people, you know, and it could be something as simple as having them take the Myers-Briggs or the DISC or the Hartman Value Profile or something, but to help them really better understand themselves, you know, strength finder, what makes them tick, but also just understanding their thinking. Um, when their thinking is serving them well, when it's not that type of thing, I think organizations as part of a, a, a fusion and a well-being initiative can definitely offer those things. Um, but then, you know, what's interesting, too, is there, there's also a really big distinction between, I'm going to say, stated culture or climate and, and what's reality. So a lot of times organizations will put stuff on their website or in the recruiting process and talk about their culture or talk about their benefits and stuff, but that's more of smoke.
smoke and mirrors. It's not reality. And sometimes it takes a while for you to be in there to realize, oh, this is what the culture actually is. Um, and so I think sometimes it's really distinguishing between um, you know, actual culture and desired culture, because a lot of times there's a disconnect there. Um, and that's one of the things that we measure for organizations so they can see, you know, are you really disconnected from where you're trying to be versus your current state? But then there's also the difference between, you know, culture and climate are a really good marketing and PR strategy. And so, you know, the culture is really that underlying, you know, unconscious, taken for granted beliefs and perceptions. And, and you sometimes have to kind of be in there a while if you're not actually uh, measuring it. And so I think sometimes people, unfortunately, have been sold a lot of really good uh, recruitment tools and they get in there and realize it's a totally different um, experience. And so then they have a choice, really. Do you want to be part of the change and, and trying to really uh, make this a better employee experience or, you know, are you taking personal lessons learned this isn't, isn't a fit? Because, you know, as you said, it's, it's really unfortunate for not just the individual but also the organization because there's a lot of money and time lost when there isn't that good fit. There isn't that right seat on the bus, you know, filled, if you will, in, in the wise words of Jim Collins. Yeah, and there's a lot of um, what was the culture advertised, what is the real culture once you get in, and how much of that is actually your relationship with your with your boss. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> because very often people can mistake a really, you know, bad relationship with a boss as the company culture, and that could just be a, a poor leader, uh, mm-hmm. which sort of gets into the you know, the real importance of leadership development and there's lots of different philosophies there uh, and can really impact, you know, an overall culture. So maybe you could talk about how do you teach and, and support a particular leadership philosophy or ideology within a company so that it becomes, you know, I guess replicatable or, or just so ingrained that, you know, you should be getting generally the same message from you know, uh, leaders across the board, uh, you know, on a particular uh, org chart. Yeah. So first, one thing you said, and I'll talk about a framework you use, but that is really important, is that if you look at culture, there definitely is a broad, if you will, company culture. But really, if you think about it, culture is built team by team. And every interaction an employee has with any leader, particularly their own, their direct supervisor, reinforces their belief about the culture, which is why there's so many movies like Horrible Bosses and stuff that are spinoffs. And and there was actually a study that was done um, in a healthcare system in San Francisco that to, it, that uh, labeled their different departments, you know, red, yellow, or green if they were, you know, above performance. And that's everything from, you know, patient care to engagement scores to financials, you name it. And they flip-flopped the managers from the red areas and the green areas for one year to see if the manager made the difference. And in 100% of the cases, those areas flip-flopped their, their metrics. And so we do know that leaders are absolutely critical to your experience of a culture. And so, um, and people quit bosses more than they quit their companies. So with that being said, that's why we say, we use an analogy of building a a structurally sound and aesthetically pleasing house when it comes to workplace culture. And the foundation of that house is developing quality leaders because everything else will crumble if you don't have those good leaders um, across the board. And so we use... um, uh, a four-step framework with leadership development. And so a lot of times with organizations, I initially will do an audit and just say, okay, what are you currently offering? And are they in kind of the wrong orders or how do they fit into this? And the first, not surprisingly, is enhancing self-awareness, right? If leaders aren't aware of themselves of when they're burnt out or when their thinking is or isn't serving them or kind of where their strengths and weaknesses are, it's 
really hard for them to be affected at developing and leading others. And so we start out with kind of, it's almost more personal well-being, but getting to know yourself and that self-awareness um, part of it. And then the second step is building effective thinking skills. So what we know is that our behaviors and what we do stem from the underlying thinking. And so often we try to focus on behaviors, but we snap right back to it unless we've literally shifted that underlying thinking. And so between coaching and workshops, there's a lot of things we do to really help leaders, um, first of all, be aware of when their thinking is and isn't serving them, and then actually build better or more effective thinking skills. Um, and then the third step then, once you kind of have that and you know how to bring your best self or your better self into interactions, the third step that we focus on is we call it developing and fostering quality relationships so others can grow. So I, I'm a huge fan of Margaret Wheatley and Peter Senge, and they talk about, you know, it's all about relationships. And as a leader, you know, it's about getting things done through other people and developing other people. And so it's really how do you foster those quality relationships that really create the conditions for every single employee that you support to have autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And that's really where you have a highly motivated and engaged workforce. Um, and then the fourth step is growing the organization. So a lot of times organizations jump in at competencies and tactical stuff or maybe talking about how to have crucial conversations and things, which is really in kind of in step three and step four. And and they've really kind of forgotten about the person who is the leader, and that person is bringing, you know, their personal life into, into work every day, and they've got their own things going on. And so we really try to work within that framework and say, okay, focus on the person first, then helping them be better in their role, then helping grow the organization. And it really seems to be a more sustainable approach of kind of fitting in what different workshops and activities might be involved for an organization. Well, I'm so happy to hear some of the things that you brought up in that last response, you know, the things that we've been talking about on the show for a while, and mastery, autonomy, and purpose is one of my favorite kind of things to talk about around employee engagement. It's usually a pretty simple way, simple to talk about, not necessarily simple to implement, uh, but a way to get companies to understand maybe where they're failing or where they're kind of approaching things in the wrong way if they don't allow one or more of those areas to really uh, foster the relationship with their with their staff. And I'm really getting intrigued to check out this uh, San Francisco study that you mentioned, the healthcare study. Um, I'm in the middle of writing my book now, so that would be a fantastic study to maybe include because that's really the, the powerful impact there of what how, you know, a great leader can have on a on an organization is is just gigantic. And I think sometimes people overlook that that they put up with bad leaders, they put up with people that maybe or have a lot of product knowledge but just don't know how to lead or manage or uh, problem solve from a human perspective, and they really can weigh your company down. Um, but those are all, you know, kind of really great topics and things that we've really been focused on here for the last few years in the show. But I'm wondering now if you can put on your, your, uh, your use your crystal ball here and, and tell us what do you think is going to be the things that we're going to be talking about here in 2016, what are the new topics or what's sort of the, you know, the, the coming buzz that companies should be thinking about around, you know, culture and engagement and talent? Yeah, I think, I think one of the big things, and you're already starting to see it, um, just kind of starting and surfacing, is really this idea of integration or, or fusion or alignment of 
professional and personal lives. Um, uh, Ron Friedman, um, a year ago, put out a great place to work book, and he talks about, you know, the future is in the key of people being able to, to fuse their personal and professional lives. You see a lot of work coming out from the Great Places to Work Institute, and there's some phenomenal work going on that's really cutting edge right now with um, uh uh, Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy and colleagues um, out of Harvard looking at what they call a deliberately developmental organization, and it's really looking at organizations who, again, are thriving, but they're really at the heart of it, um, focusing on developing every single individual in that organization, starting with their thinking and helping them understand the adaptive challenges they face and how to kind of get past those thinking patterns that are holding them back. And so we all show up to work wearing masks and trying to put our best face forward, and we waste a whole lot of time. And so by just creating this really supportive environment where people get to truly do some profound personal growth work benefits the organization. And so you're there. Um, I know they have been working on writing a book, too, and they've got some great, great case studies. And so um, and then I even think with what, you know, what we're seeing from the firms of endearment or even looking at, um, you know, the, um, the huge movement that's starting to happen with more um, self-managed organizations or self-organized and, and holacracy, I just think that there's um, going to be more and more of talking about, you know, how do we really not just support this autonomy, mastery, and purpose, but really how do we create the conditions where both, you know, we're paying attention to both personal growth and development and the organization. I just I see that coming up more and more and, and, and people paying attention to these organizations that are just leading their industries and leading their marketplace and it's because um, they're they're doing that. And I think along with that, um, culture is definitely um, showing up more and more. You're seeing so many more blogs and so many more conferences focusing on it. And so my prediction is that those are going to um, continue to come out even more in 2016. And, you know, one of our favorite questions asked uh, guests on the show is, you know, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might tell us about? Yeah, I'm actually in the middle of two, which is kind of bizarre. Usually I just read one at a time, but um, I, I um, am in the middle of The Purpose Economy by um, Aaron Hurst. And then I'm also uh, just in the first, uh, I would say, first third of Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Lalo or Lalu. Um, and, and, the, the purpose economy, you know, again, to go back to autonomy, mastery, and purpose, you know, that we all kind of want to feel a part of something and we want to be about something bigger than just profits and, and whatnot. And, um, and the reinventing organizations is, I've just become fascinated with this whole idea of, um, of, you know, self-managed organizations. And they talk about various stages, the, the top being teal. And there are these organizations, everything from healthcare organizations to foundries to food packing industries where you know, kind of like what we've heard Zappos do, that they 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 don't have a traditional hierarchy and they're thriving, um, but you don't get there overnight. You have to have a solid culture. You have to have trust. You have to have invested in employee development to even, you know, go down that path. And and I think it's it's so cutting edge, but it's just fascinating to read about some of these and see so much alignment with the work that we're trying to do with organizations that really is kind of foundational building if they if they had any desire to go that way. But it's just amazing how these very different industries can um, self-organize and and really break the mold of traditional, you know, hierarchical um, organizations. And they're, it, it's just fascinating because it's so foreign to the way we typically go about business. So those are those are the two that I'm um, in the midst of and very intrigued by right now. Well, I hope that our listeners have enjoyed uh, the things you've been talking about as much as I have because they're just things that I love talking about. So it's been uh, fascinating uh, to have you on the show, and uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and 
we can get to all the other stuff that we didn't have a chance to, to talk about and, and go a little bit deeper with culture. So uh, thank you great. so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, that's uh, about all the time we have for today. Thank you again to my guests uh, and their incredible insights. Next week, I'll be joined by uh, David Bradford, the chairman of the board at uh, Fluent Worlds and author of Up Your Game. And also then a second guest will be Tim Sackett, president of HRU Technical Resources. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2. 